0: This is a headgum podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets. Because of a miracle made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle made helps with that. One of the little things that which I don't see happening, Um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the nation, episode 200. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we gently coat the shrimp of democracy with an egg mix and a dusting of flour to create the tempura that is America. I am your host, Nakeen Farsad, and last night um, I walked into my usual shawarma place in the 20 minutes before Iftar, uh, the Ramadan tradition of breaking your fast with a nice meal, and it was dead silent except for the cooks furiously putting out dates and other goodies because they knew that a horde of hungry muslims i almost said angry they're not angry they're hungry uh we're going to bust open the doors any moment and together we had a laugh because it felt like that scene in vanilla sky except for like it was leading up to iftar and not whatever vanilla sky was about which i don't remember um anyway (laughs) uh dean have you done that where you've gone into a place like right before iftar and it's like deadly silent no, but I've
1: been to places where there are Muslims who are hungry, where they're hungry and angry, all yeah. <laughs> day, and they want to eat in the clock. Worse in the summer when sunset is like, you know.
0: Eight o'clock. it's like, yeah, today, this year, this year, it's not so bad. Well, today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, how Democrats should talk and how they shouldn't talk. And we're also going to talk about violence in Hollywood. And finally, the YOLO economy. Is it a dumb term or a real thing? We'll figure that out. I am so excited by today's panel, folks. I'm joined for the very first time on this show, but not for the first time in my life because I've seen her perform stand-up so astutely, so wonderfully, so beautifully all over the city and then she's also a writer of one of my I don't know. I want to say all-time favorite television shows. All-time. Yeah, I'll say that. It's an all-time favorite television show. And it's also one that I share with my mom, which I feel like there's not very many shows you get to share with your mom. You know no. what I mean? That it are also your all-time favorite? It's a rare Venn diagram crossover. Folks, it's the wonderful... Oh, and that show is Marvelous Miss Maisel. I don't think I said <laughs> the actual show. <laughs> the show is Marvelous Miss Maisel. And the, and the person who's on our show today is Allison Libby. Hey, Alison Allison. So
2: good to see you. This is so fun! Oh my god, it's
0: been so long. Years. It's really great to see you. Um, yeah, years. Weird. <laughs> Why? We need to uh, fix I that. Um, and also joining us, uh, you—you've already heard me tease this guy. Um, he is a, a comedian I've known for a very long time. I was actually telling the story of like the first ever time we worked together on your solo show at the New York Fringe Festival. <laughs> it was like 2000, and let's not even day it, say it. Um, he is host of the series XM show the, Dini, the Dino Obidala show uh, and he's an all around great guy and my friend folks it's Dino Obidala. hey Dean hey you know I was thinking
1: the, the TV show I bond with my mom she's Sicilian it's like we're watching reruns of the Godfather um, and Goodfellas because my Sicilian mom those are like We watched it, and she's convinced they're documentaries. And I'm always like, (laughs) because she'll say like, "Your grandfather knew that guy." I'm like, I don't think my grandfather knew that guy.
0: (laughs) Well, um, folks, before we get into whatever we're getting into, um, I just want to let everybody know that theoretically on June 8th, like, as in a few weeks from now. I am going to perform live. It is Nagin Forsad presents a full hour of comedy from her mouth hole. And I will theoretically be doing that at Caveat. I say theoretically because we're still working out the COVID stuff. Because New York City just changed the laws, like yesterday, where you can have a, capa- a full capacity theater, but you have to show proof of vaccine. So I'm trying to figure if that out if I... If you guys want to do that, in fact, please let me know if you live in New York City, if you live close by, would you come to a show on June 8th uh, to see me um, wearing they have you show your proof of vaccine either with your little CDC card or with an app? Like the New York state is using the Excelsior app. This is all stuff we've talked about on the show, weirdly. And so now I'm actually dealing with it and it's like making me sweat. Um, So let me know. Uh, I will be tweeting out whatever theoretical link it is to buy tickets. Um, We're keeping ticket prices cheap so that you come out and experience and enjoy. You could wear your mask um, or or I think... Not if you're drinking something or whatever. Again, like they just changed the rules. I'll know more about all the rules, but uh, I don't. Dean, like Allison, would you guys go to a show if it involved you showing your your vaccination status? Yes.
2: Sure. My like proof that I was <laughs> my proof that I was vaccinated. Yeah, like you as a
0: human being. Yeah. Like if you, yeah, like if you were vaccinated, again, you could show your status. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I That's would too. That's why I did I don't it. Know. Like
2: so that I <laughs> could like participate in society again, and society can be a thing right. again. Right. Right.
0: So that totally makes sense. Does yeah. seating yeah. depend on so, what
1: vaccine you got? Like I have Moderna. Does that make, get me closer to the stage? Oh,
0: yeah. Sorry, Dean. We're not allowing Modernas in the room. <laughs> so that's going to be... That's the VIP, <laughs> Like VIP Johnson. I'm Moderna as well. I'm joking, obviously. Um... Folks, uh, let's get it. Oh, but before I get into it, again, I keep interrupting my own damn self, but I just want to let everybody know there's a new bonus episode of Fake the Nation that came out on Patreon. It's a conversation I had with Christian Finnegan and George Severus about a thing we read or saw or experienced that had a huge impact on our life choices, like a book or a movie or conversation or a trip. Um, And we got a little sentimental, and then we made fun of ourselves for getting sentimental. Give it a listen. And if you're not a member of our Patreon family, go to patreon.com slash Farsat to support the show and get those bonuses. Uh, for the cost of just one latte a month, you get free episodes of Fake the Nation. So it's a pretty good deal. All right. Well, let's get into it with topic number one. Um, okay. So we're going to talk about the YOLO economy, which is a term I read in a couple of, of think pieces that is vaguely defined as... Uh, Taking that like you only live once notion, which when was YOLO like uttered every day? Was it like four years ago or something? I don't know. Five years ago, it was a dark period in our lives, Um, and it's basically you only live once, and it's applying that idea to your post-pandemic career and financial choices. Um, Apparently, a lot of youngins are quitting their jobs or they plan to to do something unstable and more adventurous. Um, So, first off, um, Dean, have you like? Talk to anyone that's kind of taking a YOLO approach. Have you seen this in action?
1: I'm living the YOLO life. I mean, what are you talking
0: about? My whole life has been YOLO.
1: I used to be a lawyer and I quit to become a page in NBC to make $10 an hour. Then I worked at Saturday Night Live and I quit that to be a full-time comedian. And now, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm living, I've taken the road less traveled. I mean, I really believe that. So for younger people who are wondering if they should take a chance, you should take a chance because maybe you'll end up on the Nageen's podcast one day. I mean, dreams come true all the time.
0: <laughs> oh, the height of success.
1: <laughs> but no, I, I really am an advocate of that. You do only live once and that you have to make choices for yourself. And And I'm happy I got a law degree, but I'm very happy I don't practice law. And I'm, I'm happy when on my journey from being a page to working in staff at SNL to making a documentary when the Geen Fassad, the Muslims are coming to doing full-time comedy and now hosting a full-time radio show that's political for the last four years. It's been a journey But I really go by that you should be doing things that you enjoy because you'll be better at them. I really it's not like it's not work. Believe me, it's work. I have to prep a lot for the show, but it's I feel like I'm doing something that makes a difference. And I think that changes the way your approach is to things. So I really hope people do the YOLO thing. You do only live once. Take a chance. If you don't have kids, it's even easier. I mean, so
0: talk about a terrible panel for the topic because all three of us basically fucking went out on a limb and continue exactly. to do so in our lives. Yes. So we're gonna like not have the best take on this. Um, but uh, Alice, again, um, Alice, again, guys, I just the, the things are in the news, and then the panels have been pre-scheduled. I apologize, Allison. Have you seen this in action with your more like uh, buttoned-up friends?
2: I think a, a little bit i i don't know that i have a ton of buttoned up friends uh with like <laughs> full-time uh like corporate jobs left everybody's kind of a comedian right. and a tv writer um But I do think there is something to like, you know, Dean said, like if you don't have kids and it's like, I think a lot of the people we're talking about are millennials. Like that's like what the crux of a lot of this like trend piece has been, which is like millennials are leaving their jobs and it's like, yeah, they don't have kids or mortgages because those things are literally not even options for them. So like, of course, it's easier to be like, I'm going to go try this for a year. I'm going to go do this thing. Like there is nothing tethering anybody to that world except for kind of uh, enslavement to like capitalism and no one likes that. That's bad. Like, I just think that like, I think the pandemic has also shown like everything goes away in a minute and it's not even like, you know, you only live once, do this while you can. It's like nothing that was promised to me is actually here. Nobody's companies stepped in and was like, how do we protect you? How do we make, there is, I think that this revealed something I remember my dad telling me forever where he's like, uh, no one cares about you. Like that was like, um, <laughs> not like people, but he was like,
0: what a, what a heartwarming he's message. Like literally you, pops. no one cares
2: about you. But he was like, your job doesn't care about you. You are not like, that is, that is not what the world is, especially anymore. And so like, and I think that a lot of people learned that this year and who were like, I'm going to dedicate the next 10 years to this law firm, this, whatever. And we're seeing like, That there was no reciprocal, like, we will protect you, we will take care of you, that, like, I think a lot of people buy into when they take jobs that are demanding. And I think it also just was like, well, if they're not here for me, then I'm not going to be here for them. Fuck this. Oh, sorry. Are we allowed to swear? I forgot. I'm I apologize. Yeah, no, totally, totally.
0: Um, I mean, the funny okay, so part of like I, I, I totally hear what you're saying, and I bet you that does apply to a lot of people. But the other thing that I think is happening is that these people are not they don't actually care about being enslaved to capitalism. They're like leaving this job so they could be enslaved to capitalism in, in a, a different, different way. way. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like these are like the a lot of these people are like gonna start do startups, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They're full, like they're just they just wanna be maybe more entrepreneurial on a solo front. By the way, a Microsoft survey found that more than 40% of workers globally were considering leaving their jobs this year. So just if, you know, we want to see some um, a tech workers, uh, among tech workers, that's 49% of um, people found that they they wanted to get a new job. My, part of what I think we're seeing is people in their 20s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, even yeah. like. I don't necessarily think we're seeing a phenomenon, except for that we're seeing people in their 20s who are in these white-collar jobs who are disproportionately represented um, by journalists, you know what I mean? Whose stories are disproportionately covered by journalists because yes. they are, have journalist friends, you know what I mean? Because they all went to the same, you know, fancy school. And I went to those schools too. And we're all just getting the fucking story of like, oh my God, my friend left and she has a startup idea and she's just like YOLO, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, because that's the fucking cohort that you're in, you know? Um, So part of, and, and also, yeah, like if you're, you're 20, I mean, when I was in my 20s, 20s. I, fucking, I was at a job um, as a policy advisor. And this is kind of crazy. I was at a job as a policy advisor. I asked for a sabbatical i i truly had no business i had gone to grad school blah 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 i'm working for the city and i asked my boss i want a sabbatical because i'm going to go to india make a movie for two months (laughs) they were like um sure and they like let me do it by the way bless the city of new york in this one moment for letting me do that because then i came back i worked for another several months but then i ultimately left that job (laughs) but you know um and you know and 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 went to become a full-time comedian um, but, uh, that's like, I think just what you do in your 20s, you take big risks, you make big swings, you just do crazy things. You ask for crazy things. I mean, it's it, part of it is we're just talking about a bunch of 20 year years who also experienced a pandemic and they're feeling, uh, itchy in their body. They just want to get out, you know? And the other thing I think, so a lot of these companies that there's in that article that I shared They talked about, like, Credit Suisse is, like, offering fully paid, all expenses paid vacations. And, like, you know, one of these companies, I think it was LinkedIn or Twitter, that's, like, giving one more day off a month, and it's, like, your rest day. And, like, there's all these little things that companies are doing so that people can recharge. And there is burnout because everyone hates being on Zoom. Everyone hates being in their own kitchen, you know, working all day long. It just sucks. So, I so, I think, yeah, you need to offer more stuff. you need to do all of that. Also, you guys are really rich companies to begin with. So, why haven't you been offering that stuff from the very fucking beginning? But I also think a big thing that it, it exists a lot in academia that doesn't exist in 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 a, in a lot of these for profit organizations is is the idea of sabbaticals people should have there should be a lot it should not be a weird thing to take a mid-career sabbatical just go get out for a couple of months go do a pottery class or whatever it is in Santa Fe New Mexico and do that thing you know what I mean and then come back and then you're refreshed I think if I think part of the problem we're seeing that maybe the French aren't seeing is like we just don't have enough vacation in in American life and so it might lead to like some crazier decisions. What do you think? Uh,
3: I I agree. I think that people take, if you work for a big company, they will take you for granted. Now, it really seems when you talk to younger people, and by the way, I'm only 28. Trump aged me. I I just look (laughs) like this because what Trump did to me. But I think when you work in bigger companies now, people really get the sense there's no loyalty from the other side. It's simply a paycheck. And that there's no promise that if you're a lawyer that you'll make partner. And if you make partner, there's no promise you'll actually be there for all your life like it was. Decade, generations ago, corporations can downsize tomorrow and you're gone. There's no sense if you work for a big company that you're anything more than a fungible good. Even if they they like you today, tomorrow, oh, they have to slash the budget and you're gone. Everyone knows it. So perhaps it makes people want to do other things with their lives that they would not have done. That if there was stability, if there truly was a path to like, hey, this is really going to work out, and I can have fun on the other end and have more vacation. But I do agree 100% again there should be more vacation. People should use their vacation. I know countless people get three weeks or four weeks and don't use it on their own. They've made it. I can't. And they feel pressure from their bosses or even subtle pressure of I go away. What's going to happen? Because they're afraid of losing their job or not getting the bonus, whatever it is. So even those places that are giving some really good benefits, some people don't take advantage of a sabbatical because they feel like they're going to get, they're going to lose their place on that ladder upwards
0: now that's it's funny because i feel like my position is almost like don't take a risk on yourself and do something you love <laughs> like take vacation <laughs> it's almost what it sounds like i'm saying i mean because i do think if you are like staring down the barrel of like a comedy career and but you have like a cushy job that i, I th- here's what i think your worth shouldn't be tied up in your job Right? right. And I think that's, again, like not to reference the French again, but it's just that I've lived there, you see. And so I have a, a little bit of experience with the French mentality and the French never talk about what they do because it's like their entire identity isn't mixed up in what you do. I think this idea that like what you do is your value and that you love it and love, love what you do and all that stuff. It's very like American, like loving yes. what you do is almost ridiculous in some other cultures. Um, And so, and I'm not saying, like, that you shouldn't love what you, obviously, whatever, obviously. But I'm just saying, like, what if your job isn't your fundamental thing, you know? Mm -hmm. What if it is a vehicle to allow you to have money so you get to go to Santa Fe and do pottery classes sometimes? You
3: really want to go to Santa
0: Fe. I mean, I cannot stop talking about Santa Fe. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But you know what I mean? Like, what if, like, your, what if your identity isn't your job? You know? Yeah. Like, that's okay. And in, in, in America, we don't talk like that. Mm-mm. And I would love to talk like that. I would love to be in a world where I don't, and I've done this so many times where I go, I'm at a party or whatever, and my first question is, what do you do? Yeah. Like, who fucking cares what, how, who gives you your 1099? You know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> Um, All right, so folks, uh, let us know what you think of the YOLO economy. Are you YOLOing your own personal economy? Uh, Do you think it's a dumb term? Hit me up, let me know what you think. But in the meantime, let's take a quick break and hear about our sponsors, these sponsors we love because they keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation. And when we come back, we'll talk about other things. Today's show is sponsored by Pros. This is kind of, I feel like, you know, I'm on some sort of Lord of the Rings journey trying to figure out skincare. And I feel like this customized skincare line is really got my name on it. Basically, every bottle of Pro's custom hair care and skin care, I tried the skin care just recently, is made to order and it's personalized. It's got a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs, like specifically you. And then the way they do it is you take this great, like in-depth quiz, basically. They analyze over 80 factors for a complete view of your life, your beauty goals, um like i have oily skin that's also dry which is just a fun little conundrum i live in new york city like we've got these four seasons my my face gets weird during seasonal shifts um i all of these things i got to kind of talk about in like in answering the questions. Um, The other fun thing was they asked us at the end, like, do you like a creamy type of moisturizer or like a less creamy kind? And I was kind of like, I think like less creamy. And they were like, that's fine. Like you can do that. But we think for your skin type, creamier is better. And I never knew that. So I love that there's so much kind of personal information that goes into creating this. I got my stuff in the mail very quickly after. I got a wonderful serum. Like I said, this very creamy moisturizer. Um, and this also very just delectably creamy cleanser that just kind of feel, like I, I think it's possible that I've been washing my face with just like st- harsh harshness. <laughs> For like many years, because when I saw this cleanser, I was like, "Oh, is this what it's supposed to feel like? It's supposed to feel like a little bit of a delight on my face." That's not what I've been doing, so I don't know, guys. And here's the thing: you don't have to take my word for it. In a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, um, which is like the gold standard for research studies, pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives, which just sort of totally makes sense on a just logical level. If you think about it, just it makes common sense. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% of your first subscription order at pros.com slash fake the nation will be taken off. That's pros.com slash fake the nation. You get your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Uh, Again, that's pros.com slash fake the nation. Go and get your just super personalized, luxurious skincare products and hair care products. That's what I'm going to try next. So pros.com slash fake the nation. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app. And I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly <laughs> angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you. So you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and rocket money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in cancel subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year. Using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use, cancel your unwanted subscriptions, go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. And we are back. And we are ready for topic number two. Uh, so remember Bernie came out in 2016 and said we should talk about race maybe a little less? Um, well, that question is looming large, especially now, because there's a study that came out from Michael English and Joshua Kala at Yale. And in that study, they said this is basically their thesis. Um, Despite increasing awareness of racial inequities and greater use of progressive race framing by Democratic elites, linking public policies to race is detrimental for support of those policies uh okay so this is basically their finding in the, in their study um and let's basically start with and, and I want to just also point out uh Dean is a Muslim dude uh half Palestinian half Sicilian Muslim dude um
2: Allison what are you um Jewish <laughs> and then uh my dad's family is uh, heavily Native American so a lot of I don't have any association or ties to a tribe or any upbringing like that, but it is part of my heritage and something I think about a lot.
0: Okay. And as listeners know, I'm an Iranian American Muslim and uh, none of us are black here. Um, but uh, we, we do represent some other things and I still want to get our theories on what the Democratic Party should be doing. And I want to let listeners know that like I we, uh, we schedule panelists bef- like for weeks in advance. We do not peg the panelists to topics. Um, and also like, you know, I have this personal weird thing, which is like every time there's a terrorist attack or something their SMSC called or you know, one of the cable networks call me up like, Nige, what are your thoughts on terrorism? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I could actually talk about so many other things. Why don't we, have me not talk about terrorism and i said msnbc it actually happens with all the cable networks and um and uh and so i also love to hear people's opinions on, on anything under the sun that isn't their specific identity because i also don't like pigeonholing people um the balance of the show is that we try and get a bunch of different voices and have you know and we do you know i just happen to have glanced at the numbers about forty. 40 five percent of our um uh panelists are bipoc uh and other and and around the same proportion are lgbtq so i don't know we're i think we're so so i just wanted you all to know i think about these things constantly that said where do you think um we are with uh race and class in the current narrative like where are democrats where were they in 2020 in the elections like where do you think the these narratives are playing out how do they how do you think they're playing out dean
1: i think race is becoming a bigger divide now than than politics i think that the political divide is more of a racial divide that the gop's really become team white and a white nationalist movement that's really what's going on here so you know trying There's very few policies I think you're gonna get the white nationalists to come on board with us in terms of social justice or even raising the minimum wage. But, you know, Heather McGee has a great book, The Sum of Us, and it's actually in that article you sent, I interviewed Heather, Heather about the zero sum mentality of conservative white people that if minorities get any benefit whatsoever, in their view, they're taking away from them. So it has to go always back to the zero. So plus one for African-Americans is minus one in their view. But that's getting worse now. So I'm not really in any way optimistic that we're gonna be able to build multiracial coalitions with people on the right. I think people in the middle, people on the left. I think for some people, you make it about race and racial justice. For others, people in the middle, you could make it about Class or an economic message, like Heather McGee in her book, it's really about hey, we're all in this together. If you raise minimum wage, it helps everyone, helps white people a lot, helps black people, brown people, everyone. So I think it depends on the audience you're talking to, but I don't think Democrats for a second should back off fighting for racial justice, fighting and being open about that. Because if Democrats are not fighting for people of color, there's no party fighting for people of color. You're on your own, and I I would hate to be, I would not be a Democrat anymore if they were not fighting for. Communities like ours, African American, Hispanic, and other communities.
0: And Heather McGee, actually, the the I think the the one main kind of starting example in her book that was really, um, which I've only read excerpts. I haven't read the full book. It's on my list. Uh, but in the excerpt I read, you know, she talks about the the. She uses the metaphor of the drained pool. Right in the '60s, um, after segregation was overthrown, um, it became clear that pools were gonna become desegregated, right? And what white people did in the 60s, instead of having pools become desegregated where they would have to share water with black people, they just drained the pools so nobody had a pool, right? And that, and so as a result, a ton of white people, like, just also didn't grow up with pools that their, the previous, their previous generation had grown up with, which is so crazy to me. They were so upset about desegregation, they were just like, nobody gets to have the fun thing or the good thing. The same thing happened with Truman in the 1940s. He wanted to um, create a national health insurance. In the '40s, right, and uh, and they meant that that meant and and it, you know the southern racists kind of predicted that that would mean integrating hospitals, so they were against it. So it meant that white people didn't get this health insurance, and as a result, here we are now, generations later. And there's those same white people still don't have health insurance, right? Or they're able to get it on the Obama exchange, or they're in a a state where uh, they didn't allow the, the expansion of Medicare. You know what I mean? So it's like they still don't have health insurance. So this is all just because... Um, and it's so it's weird. The racism actually helps, like stopped the awesome thing happening for white people, which is kind of the 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 fantastic thing that Heather McGee points out in the sum of us. Allison, where do you think we're at with uh with how we talk about race in the Democratic Party? I mean,
2: it's hard because like. Also, when I was reading that article from the New York Times that you sent us, I was like, oh, I don't know how to read a study anymore because my brain has been destroyed by the Internet. And I was like, can someone sum this up in one <laughs> sentence? Um, like, what's a tweet that would summarize this whole uh, extensive, important, thorough research article? Um, right. I do think like talking about like, um, you know, how white people would rather like lose something than share it with black people. I think somebody tweeted this and I wish I could um Credit the source. But in talking about uh, television writing jobs, which, of course, now we're talking about like the height of luxury and not basic uh, human care for people. Right, right, right. But like that often the trend with um, when you talk about diversity and when you talk about, you know, expanding the voices in a room is that the straight white men who are uh, now excluded feel like they point to the one woman, the one LGBT, the one uh, person of color in that room and say, this person took my job. And it's like, no, one of the other seven white guys on this staff took your job. This is not somebody who like, I feel like that's that, like that's the same sentiment that kind of like permeates how we talk about race, just like from the parties and from like larger, um, political or like policy, uh, uh, points of view or whatever. So I do think that like the like before like I do think that the Democratic Party needs to continue to talk about race. It is so incredibly important and enmeshed in almost everything that happens in this country. Unfortunately, we have to do a ton of deprogramming for so many people to um, explain that uh, giving people who are not white things does not take them away from white people. It helps everyone.
0: So, like, what if? What about the argument? So it's funny because Matt Iglesias in his newsletter, slow and slow, boring, uh, basically said something like, "anti-racist messaging is a net loser in terms of votes," which is basically the tweet that summarizes yes. the study. Yes. Right? yes, that's what I like. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> right. So, like, what if it's about winning? I mean, do you know? Like, do we just want to win with using? class-based arguments um so we're like hey everybody gets health insurance and it doesn't you know and it's like the 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 silent part is that includes you know uh people of color (laughs) but like we don't say that part and we're just like everybody gets it hey guys everybody um so we emphasize uh class but but then it means winning and this is like i and i feel like it is Look, it's a Sophie's Choice situation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's it's hard for, and also the three, you know, I can I can see a strategist being like, look, I'm gonna write this speech as if everything is just about poor people getting more stuff, middle class people getting more stuff, life being less difficult, and just talk about it in terms of class because that's what's gonna win people over, and the numbers, you know, uh, of, of the studies sort of like do kind of the show that um, even Republicans are more likely to join get get on board with something if it's framed as a class issue and not a race issue. is winning like I guess how mad would you be if if the Democratic party was like in order to win, we're gonna take this strategy just as a hypothetical again, I'm not saying that you want this yourselves, but like what do you how mad would you be Dean?
1: I would say we don't win because if you're not speaking to the black community's needs, which they voted over 90% for Joe Biden and Democrats, and specifically to the needs of the Hispanic community, Latino community, which voted like 60 plus percent, then you're ignoring them. And why are they going to turn out? Because they're going to feel ignored. It's a conversation I have with listeners on my show all the time. This idea of identity politics being inherently bad. It's not. It's talking about the concerns of a community that are unique to the community and showing you care about them. You understand them. You've talked to them. You get to know them. This is what's important to me. You can't win if you're going to whitewash and do colorblind messages for our side. For the other side, maybe you can. But again, look, the beauty of today's world is you can tailor messages on Facebook if you're trying to reach moderate white people, make it geospecific to where Whitey's lives. I think overall, If someone is going to be so upset because you're talking about Black Lives Matter, which the Republican Party now views as a symbol of hate, they even view the 1619 Project. The big thing now is 1619 Project is evil. And in Idaho this week, they literally passed a law. Schools cannot use funding to teach kids about critical race theory, which is systemic racism. You can't teach it. So And that's a state that's 93% white and less than 1% black, but white fragility is so acute in that state, that 93% of white people are like, we can't have talking about black people in our school. So you're never gonna reach them. I'm I'm being honest. I'm at a different point in my life. I'm an old man now. No, I'm, there are certain people you can build. I think it's more about inciting your base and getting them excited to come out to vote. That's how you win. Not reaching beyond your borders to people who are on the, on the right, not even far right. And some in the middle, you can tailor a message for them specifically.
0: Okay, so you're so but Biden, when he's going out there trying to sell the American Families Plan or whatever, can't necessarily be that targeted. Right. When he's making big speeches, it's like he's just making big speeches. Um, Is is there something about. But yesterday, like
1: yesterday, President Biden spoke about. COVID vaccine. And he said, we brought down deaths among senior citizens by 80%. Then he goes among African-Americans, 70%. Among Hispanics, 80%. That's the kind of thing where you're talking, you're talking the big picture. You're not saying, I don't care about white people. That's not the message at all. But you're saying, I also care about your community specifically. That's why I'm mentioning it. That's why when Joe Biden's speech last week talked about transgender community and telling them, I have your back, that was one line in his speech, but it meant a lot To transgender teens who are under the gun by the right, who are demonizing them horrifically right now.
0: Who've probably literally never heard any word of support from uh, an office of that level ever. Um, I, yeah, I I guess, Allison, I guess, again, like, what do you think about losing, Uh, like, (laughs)
2: I mean, we're Democrats. We're used to it. Um, Unfortunately,
0: (laughs) I will say it's just it's I mean, again, I'm so like torn about this because I'm like, I want us to win so that we could put in all of the policies that then actually correct Right. You know, um, the, the racism. You yes. Know I mean? But so I'm, so part of me is like, let's win, you know? And then part of me is like, if we have to win and be like real shitbags, that sucks. You know, I, I basically, it, it would be really hard for me personally, like, you know, not, not to talk about race. Yeah. Just, um, in my own discourse, you know, I could I could. So where do where do you think? What do you think about losing? I
2: mean, I do think like the ultimate goal is to win as much as possible and therefore enact the policies that we're talking about right now that actually protect everyone that's living in this country and not just, you know, fragile white people who don't understand how to talk about race. But at the same and but at the same time, I mean, one of I, I think about specifically when you talk about like the police murdering black people and police brutality in general, That, of course, has to become a race issue because it's so clearly happening to black Americans. But you can't be very uh, transparently talking about race with that and then go into discussions about economic policy and, and blanket over the fact that those two things are absolutely enmeshed. And you have to kind of bring up that police brutality is not separate from the fact that we need, uh, universal childcare and we need a universal income and we need, uh, universal healthcare for people and protecting community. So like, and like proper housing and like fair community resources. So like, you can't like talk about those as like this, like broad, uh, non-racial issue, and then talk about something as specific as maybe police brutality, or there are dozens of other examples. Um, and make that so clearly about race which it is because i feel like then that's a disparity that's like hard to wrap your head around but again like how do you do both and still win seats and still win votes and still like be able to enact the policies that actually do help like that's the tricky thing and that's why i'm in comedy and not politics (laughs) i'm like i can figure out a punchline i don't know how we solve this mess
0: well you know it also i uh, just like reminds me of you know mlk at the time of his death was was like far more preaching and even th- throughout his life preached these kind of like socialist policies yeah. right as 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 um corrections to like all sorts of social ills beyond race yeah. you know and um and it's interesting because it seemed like almost that when it seemed possible for him to be to kind of transcend race in that way is when he became even more dangerous right. and was, you know, as we know, uh, taken out. And so um so I think but it's also like, you know, it's also part of that is being the the kind of messenger that he was specifically. Mm-hmm. Um I think actually Part of me feels like Bernie sort of did a de- like a decent job in 2020 of just saying like class based class based class based and this is how class based will affect and then like subcategory this is how these class based policies will affect like you know our racial concerns
3: mm-hmm.
0: our r- race inequity concerns you know and it fe- and it felt kind of like he had sort of figured that out a little bit yeah um in and, and a part of it is just like <laughs> headline headline headline. Also, though, you know, or something mm-hmm. and I don't I'm, I might be I might be diminishing Bernie or whatever I you know um uh but I but I think there's ways of doing it that are just you know like, a lot of this is just like speech writing you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just a matter of like elegantly organizing a speech you know what i mean i mean i'm not trying to diminish all of fucking these issues into just it's speech right. writing but, uh, but, but what we're talking about mm-hmm. is messaging specifically oh my god i am just envisioning the e- the angry emails i'm getting so anyways <laughs> <laughs> but you know what if i forget everything i've said in the last uh, 10 minutes <laughs> um any closing thoughts on this dean
1: No, I think that Bernie, he did make it all about class and fighting for the working class and lower class people. And he didn't talk about race specifically, but he did work really hard to build relations with the Hispanic community, specifically like Nevada and other places, and with the black community, but it really worked. So look, he even tailored his message specifically to reach each community. That's what you're doing. You're, You're a politician. You want to show people you care about them. You understand their concerns and you reach out to them accordingly. So there's nothing wrong with having a targeted message and, and, you know, as Allison's saying, though, on certain issues, if you don't talk about race, you're being intellectually dishonest. Everyone sees right through it. Right. Like the, On the right, I mean, everything, it's a few bad apples. Yeah. Well, apparently the bad apples have, have been everywhere now. The bad, like Tim Tim Scott, the Republican Senator, talked about being pulled over seven times in a year, but denies systemic racism. So these seven <laughs> bad apples happened to catch him. That was it. They are all just, that seven bad apples caught him that year. Systemic all racism right. is what Tim Scott has endured. So they're being intellectually dishonest. So on certain issues, you can. On other issues, you don't have to talk about race. If you're gonna talk about minimum Wage, know, about how it helps everyone. But then I think a good politician would say, and, you know, for the white, poor whites, this is how it's going to help. And for African-Americans or a Latino community or Asian-American community, here's how it's going to help. But everyone hears what they want to hear. It's not specific to one community by mentioning all communities. Maybe that's the way, some kind of balance.
0: Right, right, right. Um, Folks, let me know what you think. I think uh, we've come down on Hey, like you can combine messages, (laughs) like you can talk to people where they're at. Like it should maybe, maybe, maybe we're uh, over intellectualizing it. You know, the guys at Yale, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Let me know what you think. I'm so curious. Um, And it's, and, 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 you know whatever you think is uh, safe. <laughs> like, I mean, unless it's real shitty.
2: I mean, I will say, right. can I say one more final point oh, really yeah. quick? Yes, yeah, say one more thing. I hate to uh, yeah. add to an ending, but also if we had more um, political leaders who were not straight white men, who were... People of color and women who are like saying, hey, here's something that's going to help all of us. And if that messaging, I mean, what's hard is it's always coming from 85 year old white men being like, all right, let me make sure everybody likes this. But if we had more, more (laughs) diverse, more diverse voices being like, hey, this is going to help all of our communities. I do think that that would make the messaging easier easier to have to because because yeah, you wouldn't have to be a white guy being messaging. like hey black people it's okay this is a good thing for you but hey white people don't worry this will help you too like if you had um a black woman saying that perhaps it i mean that has all of its other many 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 uh yeah, yeah, caveats totally. for what doesn't work there unfortunately in this stupid country but i do think that that would help um eliminate a little bit of the problems that we're talking about.
0: No, that's an excellent point. Uh, It's much easier to make that for some mouths to make the message. (laughs) Um, Okay, folks, let me know what you think. And next topic. (laughs) Okay, so a listener reached out to me, Douglas Torrey, on Twitter, um, and he basically wanted us, to, wanted us to talk about, quote, the culpability of Hollywood in the epidemic of gun violence slash police violence. So movies, he says, both capture and shape our imaginations, our views of what's possible, and so often the answer to whatever problems anchor the plot line is a hefty arsenal of pornographically photographed firearms, badass protagonist plus super slick gun plus witty quip equals problem solved. So I want to talk about violence in film and television to first ask like What's your relationship to violence on TV? Are you do you are you immune to it? Do you consume a lot of it? Like um, Allison, where are you at? I mean, Marvelous Miss Maisels is not
2: known as a very violent. Well, show. you haven't seen <laughs> season four yet. Now, just kidding. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> Midge buys a gun. No, obviously not. Um, but I mean, I am I am someone who is not super uh, into watching violence. Um, I don't watch any of even the superhero, the Marvel universe, all of that. Like that's just not super appealing to me. Um I prefer mm-hmm. a like a quiet like rom-com or, or like a goofy <laughs> comedy. That's just my personal taste and I fully understand and have loved. I mean like I loved Breaking Bad. It's a very violent show that really does glamorize guns. So like it's not that I don't watch any of it, but I am more drawn to things that are not violent. They don't in, do that. Like right? over, you know, as an overtone.
0: Yeah. Dean, where are you at with violence? I love violence. I'm a big fan of violence.
1: <laughs> I watch all I watch is violence. It's Breaking Bad, Homeland. It's sort of on the loop. a loop. Every then I will watch the Shit's Creek episode for fun, but then I'm back to violence right after. <laughs> back that. on the violence. It's interesting. I don't like video games that are like like Call of Duty. I played once for free, and you go out and actually shoot people in this blood. I'm like, this is awful. I actually found it despicable. But I like war movies a lot, and. You know, there's violence that could be justifiable in a movie. But for some reason, like Saving Private Ryan and a lot of war movies, I'm drawn to. I don't know why. I have this, con- I have this sense that in another life, I served in a war. I'm not sure what side I was on. I don't know what I did in it. <laughs> I might not have been on the U.S. side. I don't know. You know, but in any point, anyway. But I don't have an avert. I don't like up-close violence. But in video games, I'll play war video games, but not when you're shooting people. Like you're shooting a plane down or a ship. Stuff like that. I like those games. I can't help it. I'm a child. I just don't like seeing people die. I don't like that part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, so I think the weird thing that has happened, you know, in the last however many years is that, like, all of prestige drama is surrounds, like, a murder. I think Breaking Bad is a little bit of a different kind of story. Story because it's mm-hmm. a sort of it's about um, it's about entrepreneurship. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like, <laughs> but it, it but but putting that kind of thing aside, I think a lot of the shows where you know I just started watching like Mayor of Easttown on HBO, and there's like you know, it's a cop and there's a murder and she's got to figure it out and, you know, and there's other, you know, she's going to figure, she's going to hold a gun too. I mean, you know, I don't like, I hope I didn't give very much away. Um, But there's, you know, there's, it's like, and I'm watching this, and I'm like, why am I always watching shit about someone got murdered We're like, extensively looking at this murdered body, you know? That's weird. I don't like seeing bullet holes in, you know, cadavers. Like, it just really... It feels like we—and then you look at, like, the top-ranking shows are stuff like, you know, Law & Order SVU and the CSIs and the Chicago Whatevers and the blah, blah, blah. All this world—I mean, it's this very extensive world of, like, murder-based and violence-based stuff that we sort of take in. I find—and I don't know if you guys have experienced this—I actually find it difficult to find comedy. Like, there's— There's much fewer, far fewer comedies on offer than there is murders. Like you can find a murder to watch every night. um, But I don't know that you can find comedies to watch at that same pace. Um, And there was actually a study between 2000 and 2018. And they found that violence on popular primetime dramas doubled from 2000 to 2018 increasing in parallel with a proportion of deaths by firearm in the U.S. So, you know, and, 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 this, and this, this came out of the Annenberg Public Policy Center. Um, and the authors of the study said, look, we can't draw a causal conclusion, but that we do have a hypothesis that what happens in the media can be influential to what's happening in real life. Um, and, it, and they found the correlation to be strongest in 15 to 24-year-olds, Um, But also uh, and second strongest in 25 to 34 year olds. So I think like it's I didn't very much think about the actual real world implications of it, just that it can't be great that we all love
2: watching murder so much. Allison, what do you think? Well, I think also like something because like I think about this a lot just, you know, in making TV, but like. The other thing that's been happening alongside uh, violence in scripted TV and and real life uh, violence in this country is the rise of the um, docu series, like the actual documentaries about murders. I mean, like that has. Yeah. And the true the world of like true, making a murder, the world of true crime has things. exploded. Yeah. And those are very compelling and very well done. And there are so many of them because there are so many murders that like I do think that entertainment television like pure entertainment television not based on documentary has had to level up because well I'm watching like why would I watch a murder on SVU when I can watch this story about an actual murder that has higher stakes like whether that's like good or bad I, I can't even like begin to right, start to right, weigh right. in but like objectively those stakes are, very, um, are much higher and like TV has to now compete with murder, real life murder and I think that all of that is just kind of all reflecting itself back kind of like a loop and there just aren't there aren't a lot of things like you said that aren't violent there aren't a ton of comedies there are when I look at what movies come out every year it's like a few like award season like smaller films that are incredible that are not super violent and then just superheroes and John Wick and every you know and and that's like doesn't appeal to me and I'm like where are the rom-coms where are the like Thrillers where no one dies, where like where's all of that? Like I feel like there used to be more kinds of movies, and there are not that many kinds of movies anymore. It large yeah, in big no, like theater, I big theater releases.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's um and it's really it's really frustrating. Um, and it do you Dean feel like it might? Here's the, the other thing that I was to say is that it's uh it also makes it seem now while there are a bunch of murders. You know, in America and internationally, I'm not going to take other countries' murders away from them. Um, While there are a bunch of murders, there aren't. You're still statistically very unlikely to be murdered. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and yet, because of the preponderance of this media. Like, people like my mom are like, well, I might get murdered. And I'm like, lady, why would you specifically get murdered? You know what I mean? And so I'm like, you're not going to get murdered. You know what I mean? And so what's happening, I think, is it's creating, even if it doesn't, you know, even if these numbers are just a correlation and not causation, it's also creating this other thing of everyone just thinking about murder a lot more than they ever need to think about murder. (laughs) You know what I mean? Dean, what do you think?
1: I've been thinking about murder a lot lately. And uh, I don't know, I'm just sort of obsessed. Someone would say planning. I thought it was interesting about that report that I was just happy to be reading this report, you know, by these authors that Nagin sent it to us. That's why I read it. And about <laughs> the, the, the big jump in on TV of violence. And is there a causation and a causal link between that and, and upticks in violence in our society? You know, and of course, in Europe. They have the same shows we do. Essentially, you can get them online now. Some are on their TV or some are online. And they send video games and they don't see the uptick. And I think the difference is access to guns in our country is just unbelievably too easy for people. You know, TV shows are not. uh, Over 100 people are killed every day by guns. About 60 of them or so are by suicides. A little over 30 are, are murders. That's everyday existence in our society. It goes up or down slightly. And it's easy access to guns and a refusal to make it harder for people who shouldn't have guns having access to it you know sadly enough the republicans have made a choice easy access to guns are more important than a woman's life in many cases. well they vote against like closing the boyfriend loophole uh making it hard for someone who's a stalker who is a boyfriend convicted of being a stalker from getting gun joe people voted against it this is what we live in so it, i don't know how much tv inspires someone to go on a mass shooting spree but seeing those images all the time can't be
3: good
0: a friend of mine was saying that he he dated two women back to back who had to fall asleep to order uh, to episodes of svu i think to whatever is there multiple svus i'm not i'm i've lost track but anyways what and i was like that can't be good like that you it seeps into your mind like if you're falling asleep to just murder stories yeah that's weird we need a break it can't be good for you (laughs) Right. So, okay, so Allison, this question is for you, uh, from our listener. He says, um, how do you portray nonviolent conflict resolution as sexy? Like, how about de-escalation tax- tactics? I'm tired of seeing supermodels in tight leather reaching for an AK-47 to get the job done. Let's imagine something different. So, Allison, as a TV writer, yes. can you see... A world in which we're writing about policing and it's like the most fun to watch de-escalation tactics. I mean, I thought like, is it just a challenge of
2: writing that like, can can you do? I, I mean, I feel like you could do it. You know what <laughs> Maybe I, mean? I feel like it's about <laughs> telling different stories because I think about this um, all the time because I think about when Knocked Up came out and everybody was really upset, myself included, because they were like, This woman in real life would have just had an abortion. She would not have had that baby. Why did you make a movie where she has the baby? She should have had the abortion. And the response is, of course, well, that movie would be 10 minutes long or because it's Judd, it'd be like an hour long. Um, But like, (laughs) but like, that's right. And so for that movie specifically, like she was going to have that baby because that's the story he's telling. Now, I feel like there are a, a few movies that are telling the story of a woman having an abortion and that is its own different story separate. So I think like while we'll never make anything that's as sexy and glamorous as gun violence on TV. Like we're just not going to like it is objectively entertaining. It's like well how do we tell like why don't we tell other stories that are the other side of this? And like why don't we like look for other paths that aren't how do we just tell the same story but like instead of everybody getting shot uh there's a mediator like that's not the answer but it's like but what's a story we can tell that does talk about a mediator that is glamorous and interesting that might be different than the path we were on with gun violence
0: yeah there's There's so so many
2: stories
0: there's sky's the limit folks dick wolf hey sky's the limit like there's so many stories Um, and then also, more comedies. let's just have more comedies. <laughs> just more comedy. What, what about like just like just far less po- focus on any kind of yeah. policing in enter- our entertainment at of all? Enough um, All right, folks. Let me know what you think. Do you have any ideas? I'm here for them. Uh, and uh, thank you so much to our listener um, for giving us that topic idea, uh, folks. That's the end of the show. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for joining us. And what I would really love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you in all the wonderful stuff that you do. Allison, where do they do that?
2: Uh, you can follow me personally uh, at Allison Libby on Twitter and Instagram. But you can also follow my podcast, which I do with the very funny Hallie Kiefer, where she tells me what a hor- what happens in every horror movie so I never have to see them because I'm too scared. <laughs> Our podcast is called Ruined. You can listen to it everywhere that podcasts are available and follow us uh, at Ruined. Ruined podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Request movies. We have fun. It's great. Um, that sounds awesome. Also, because I am
0: that person who can't, I can't. watch horror movies, I can't. and I would need someone else to explain it. But to I me want to know what happens.
2: Along. Like I just don't want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Definitely follow Allison and all of her work. She's amazing. Uh, and I've been uh, such an admirer of her for many years. Dean, where do people find you? Well,
1: on Twitter at Dean Obidala or Instagram, the same thing at Dean Obidala or my website, deanofradio.com. I have a show five nights a week on Series XM, channel 127 Progress from 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And nagina has been on. So if you have Series XM, I hope you'll check out my show, call in, and be a part of it. Or you can email me at dean at deanofradio.com.
0: Oh, my gosh. I've de- obvious I've done many, 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 many shows with Dean. It's always fun. It's always there's some insightful, but then funny, but then insightful again. So definitely um, check out his show. Uh, oh, and folks, again, I'm going to be posting about some show that I will be doing probably June 8th. So please look out for that. Let me know how you feel about showing your vaccination status if I do a show. Uh, I would love to know if that's cool with you. Um, and what I would really love to do is thank the people that Make the show possible. That's our producer Julia Linden, our sound engineer Stephanie Aguilar, and our wonderful people um, at Headgum. The theme music is by Gabi Alter, and as always, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Email us at fake the nation at headgum.com for ideas. Um, about topics like the one that Douglas shared with us today, um, guest ideas you might have, uh, and again, join the Patreon for bonus content at patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad, and, and we'll be back in your earballs next week. Thank you. That was a HeadGum Podcast.